Once again, our scripture reading and text is from the third last book in the Old Testament, the prophecy of Haggai. And we'll be reading from the second of the two chapters, picking up at verse 10 and reading through to verse 19. People of God, hear his word. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? And the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it become, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day I will bless you. So far this reading of God's holy word. So, brothers and sisters, around the year 520 B.C., some 66 years after the original temple had been destroyed, and about 17 years after the Persian king Cyrus declared that the temple should be rebuilt, around 520 B.C., the prophet Haggai comes onto the scene, proclaiming the word of God to the community of those Jews who had returned from the Babylonian exile. And four of the messages that God proclaimed through Haggai are recorded in the short Old Testament book that bears his name. The first of these messages is recorded in the first 11 verses of the first chapter in this short book. The rest of chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, this passage records the reaction of the people to Haggai's first message. Haggai had admonished the people for not getting on with the task of rebuilding the temple. 
The people responded by obeying the voice of the Lord and resuming the work. But the people needed more encouragement. So God proclaims his second message through Haggai, recorded in the first nine verses of chapter 2. We looked at that message this morning. So these first two messages, they were intended to motivate the Jews of that time to get going with rebuilding the temple. People were encouraged, even though at times the task seemed hopeless. Now these first two messages were likely proclaimed a couple of months apart in the year 520 B.C., And it would seem that the people responded well to both messages. Work on the temple proceeded. But then a couple of months later, well, there were still problems that needed to be confronted. And so once again, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, prompted him to proclaim his third message to the people. And this third message, just like the first two, it has much to teach us as a church in the year of our Lord, 2022. But now, at first, we might be a bit confused by what Haggai is saying here. Truth to be told, this third message is the most difficult to understand of the four. I mean, really, what what is Haggai trying to get across with these questions about consecrated meat and contact with dead bodies? Well, brothers and sisters, when we dig into this passage, the message to the Jews back then becomes clear, and the message to the church of all ages, the message to us, it becomes clear. As well. So, what is this message about? Well, we could sum it up this way external religion, it's not enough. Godly behavior must flow out from a, a clean heart, which can only come when God blesses his people. External religion is not enough. Godly behavior must have as its source a clean heart, which must have as its source the grace of God and his blessing. The thing is, sure, the people were rebuilding the temple. Sure, they were doing all the right things, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for them just to be going through the motions. There needed to be a turnaround in their hearts. And God alone could bring about that turnaround. And he would. He would bless his people. He promised it. All right. To help understand what God was saying to his people here, let's Let's take a bit of a closer look at this text. First we read from our scripture reading and text, verses 11 through 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, 
If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? Then the priests answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. So, there's language here about uh, ceremonial cleanness and uncleanness. We're talking about ceremonial laws here, the, the Old Testament laws that uh, spelled out the rules for such things, rules and laws that, that God's people needed to follow in the time before Christ, but which we don't follow. Well, Actually, we do. We don't follow them in the same way now that Christ has come. Now, these laws may seem strange to us. Since, for instance, after Christ and his ultimate sacrifice, we no longer offer blood sacrifices by killing animals, shedding their blood. But the truth, the truth behind these laws the truth that these laws pointed to, it still is very true. Because the truth is the same now as it was back then. In any event, the first part of this section deals with the whole matter of consecrated meat. Meat that's been set aside as a sacrifice. You might call it holy meat was ceremonially holy because of what it had been set apart for. Now, when this meat is carried in one's garment, taking your garment and uh, holding it in such a way that it forms a, a pouch in which you would carry the meat. Yuck, right? But just bear with me here. It could be said that that garment carrying the meat becomes holy by virtue of the fact that it's carrying this holy meat. It, it could be argued that this is implied by what the ceremonial law taught. For instance, Leviticus 6, verses 25 and 27. Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And, and when it's Blood is sprinkled on any garment. You shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. So this, this garment also had to be recognized as set apart as, as holy. Um, now, of course, we wouldn't be carrying any sort of meat in this way. Like I said, that's kind of yuck. I mean, in our family, for instance, we, we often have chicken wings on Sunday. My wife makes great chicken wings. Now, if I were to untuck my uh, rather long extended dress shirt and were to fold it up and carry chicken wings in it, that, that would be gross. It would make my shirt rather unclean. But we're not talking about physical uncleanness and cleanness, but ceremonial. But then the question becomes, can this 
this holiness of, of this meat and the garment carrying it, can it be transferred any further? Is this holiness like, like some magic power that will seep through the garment and then transfer onto anything which the garment happens to accidentally touch? Sort of like when, when you attach a wire to an electric current, the electric current runs through the wire, and then the current also runs through to anything that happens to touch that wire. Is, is holiness like that? No. Holiness doesn't work that way. Holiness is not transferable in that way. And so answered the priests to whom Haggai asks this question. And it has to be said, the priests answered correctly. But what about unholiness, uncleanness? Say you have a dead body. Very unclean with respect to the ceremonial law. We read in Numbers 9, verses 4 and 6. So Moses told the Israelites to celebrate the Passover. But some of them could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremonially unclean on account of a dead body. That, that was a surefire way of becoming ceremonially unclean. Just touch a dead body. Now, of course, cleanness and uncleanness, these categories don't, don't mean the same things for us, living after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. I mean, the week before, my wife and I left Australia to come to Canada for a few weeks. I was involved in the funeral of a man, a former pastor, actually, who's whose daughter and son-in-law with their eight kids are members of our congregation. Wonderful, wonderful family, and we love all of them dearly. Apparently, they were with um, the father, the grandfather's body in the hospital just after he died. And some of the kids, when they came in, they, they touched that body. And that was meaningful for them and of course we we didn't say to them oh no you you've become unclean it doesn't work that way and in the time before Christ though sin making us unclean and Christ cleansing us by his blood this was pointed to with these laws about cleanness and uncleanness such as laws about touching dead bodies. So, the thing is also, using those categories, um, when you become unclean as a result of, say, touching a dead body, or for any other reason, whenever you become unclean in terms of the ceremonial law, as it was in place before Christ, then anything you touch also becomes unclean. 
As we read in Numbers 19, verse 22, Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. And so if you were unclean and you were to happen to touch some food, say some bread or stew or wine or oil or the like, then that food would become unclean by virtue of the fact that you touched it as one who was unclean. Thus answered the priests of whom Haggai asks this question. And again, it has to be said, they answered correctly. So, it would seem then that uncleanness, unholiness, is a lot more, quote unquote, transferable than holiness or cleanness. It's a whole lot easier to make something defiled than it is to make something consecrated. Defilement, uncleanness, it's like an infectious disease that can be communicated very easily. It's very catchy. Holiness, on the other hand, isn't quite as contagious. Not nearly. Now what, what's the point in all of this then? Is Haggai the prophet really concerned with how food can become unclean a whole lot easier than it can be clean? No. Not particularly. Rather, Haggai is using these truths from the ceremonial law to make an important point. As we read in verse 14 of our text, then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Whatever they offer is defiled. Whatever they do is Defiled. Why? Because their hearts still weren't in the right place. Sure, they were outwardly engaged in the good and proper work of rebuilding the temple. But it wasn't really worth anything. Because their hearts were impure. Look at it this way. All right? Defiled hearts will make what appear to be good acts defiled. But it can't go the other way. Good actions cannot make a defiled heart good. It's a lot easier for uncleanness to be transferred than it is for cleanness to be transferred. The apparent cleanness of a good deed cannot make clean an impure heart. But an impure heart can certainly make a seemingly good deed into something unclean. To illustrate this, all right, say you were to give all sorts of money to the church and to the poor. 
You could be a preacher proclaiming the word or an elder or a Bible teacher or whatever. You could do all sorts of work in the church. You could make sure that you attend all the right church functions, but without your heart in the right place, it's all meaningless. When you have an impure heart, then anything you do will be impure. To illustrate this even further, consider the words of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now notice, 1 Corinthians 13 it's talking about some rather powerful actions here. Moving mountains, fathoming the mysteries of all knowledge. In other words, knowing your doctrine extremely well. Giving all of your possessions to the poor. Sacrificing your life as a martyr. It's meaningless you do not have a converted heart as demonstrated by true biblical love. Now, of course, of course, it's good to know your doctrine. It's good to be generous. It's good to be willing to give up even your life. But without a converted heart, it's worthless. This was so important for the people of Haggai's time to remember. Of course, it was very important for them to be working on the temple. Of course, it was very important for them to shift their focus away from their own concerns and start focusing on what God wanted them to do. But if they were simply doing this as a, a means of appeasing God getting God off their backs. And they were missing the boat. And the same goes for us. Of course, it's so important for us to be concerned with the, the work of God's house, the work of his church. And it's important for us to do things like go to church regularly, be involved in church life when we can. And it's good for us to be involved in kingdom causes outside of the church. But if our heart is not in the right place, then all of it becomes defiled. Think about it. The act of going to church itself will not do anything for you without a purified soul. John Calvin writes about these truths in his commentary on Haggai. Men not only lose all their labor, but also contract new pollution when they 
seek to pacify God by their sacrifices, unaccompanied by inward purity. Nothing can flow from an impure and polluted fountain but what is impure and polluted. Never, brothers and sisters, never imagine that doing good deeds will somehow pacify God. Never think that you can make yourself good in his eyes by outwardly conforming to what you think he wants you to do. Such thinking is only the result of a depraved, sinful heart, and nothing but sin can flow from such a heart. You know, Haggai further emphasized all of this when he reminded the people of how God had been punishing them in the past. We read in verses 16 and 17 of our text. Since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, there were but 10. When one came to the the wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, there were but 20. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Look at what I've done in punishing you, declares the Lord. I did all these things as I promised I would do when I made my covenant with you. And yet you still failed to turn to me. I demonstrated my covenant wrath and yet you still failed to turn your hearts around. I hindered the work of your hands. I brought upon you agricultural disaster just like I said I would when I established my covenant with your forefathers. And yet still you continued on in the impurity of an unconverted heart. So then, well, trying to do good works is not enough. We must, must have hearts that are pure. Well, that being the case, What hope can there be for us? How can we ever have any chance of truly serving God? Because the fact of the matter is, each and every one of us has an impure heart. Each and every one of us is sinful in the eyes of God. Each and every one of us deserves to have the wrath of God fall on us. Because we are each totally depraved sinners. It's reality. It's the reality of every single human being since the time of Adam, save one. Everyone here this evening, none of you here are that one. We all have a defiled heart, an unclean heart, in our natural sinful state. And this unclean heart defiles our actions there's no one who does good not even one an unclean people we offer unclean unclean acts so if we were to rely on making ourselves holy in the eyes of God there would be no hope but but thanks be to God Because of his mercy, we can be cleansed of our guilt and made righteous in his sight. Thanks be to God, he sacrificed 
his only begotten Son on the cross, that we might be forgiven. Thanks be to God, there is redemption. There is purification. And consider, consider the awesomeness of this reality. We are unclean, and there's no hope for making ourselves into clean people but God simply and only because of his mercy he has seen fit to cleanse us through the blood of his son there can be no explanation for this other than pure unadulterated grace what else can it be that would bring about such a blessing on us Haggai testified to this this grace in his third message. You are a defiled people, he says. Everything you do is defiled. Everything you offer is unclean, says the Lord God. I have shown you time and time again that you deserve nothing more than my covenant wrath. But you know what I'm going to do, says the Lord. I'm going to bless you. Verse 18 and 19 of our text. Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. Mark this day well, he says. See what happens next. See what I do for you. Up until now, you've known my wrath as it's been demonstrated. You've only known disappointment, but that's going to change. You will see. I will bring blessing, and you will know that it comes from my hand and no other. It's not because of who you are. This is only because of me, says the Lord God. You will know that it is only I who will bring about this this change in your situation. Give careful thought to this day, he says. Remember it well and be assured that from this point on I will bless you, says the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this When it comes right down to it, is the gospel message to those who belong to Jesus Christ. Our God, for no other reason than the fact that he is a gracious and merciful God, our God will bless his people. He will turn their hearts around. He will spiritually nourish them. He will cause them to know of his grace. Mark it well. Remember it well. It's not because of anything we have done. It is only because of his love for us. Remember who it is who has worked his grace in your life. And you know something else? When God does work his grace in the lives of his people, when he does purify them through the blood of Christ, it is then and only then that their works can become pleasing in his sight. To quote John Calvin once again, the heart is cleansed by faith and purity is diffused over our works so that they can begin 
to be pleasing to God. It is only after we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ that we can be purified, and only then can the actions we do become pleasing to God. Now, to be sure, to be sure, the sinful nature is still with us. It will continue to be with us, serving as an ongoing reminder of our utter and complete and total dependence on the grace and mercy of God. It will continue to be with us until we reach perfection and glory. And that sinful nature, until then, will continue to stain even the best that we do. And to be sure, nothing that we do even as purified people, will ever be able to make us right with God. Our works can never contribute to our salvation, ever. Nevertheless, as purified people with converted hearts, hearts made new through the power of the Holy Spirit, as cleansed people, we can then begin to serve God as he would have us to do out of gratitude for all that he has done for us. Thus were the Jews back in Haggai's day encouraged to continue on in the work that they were called to do, continuing the task of rebuilding the temple. Thus can we be encouraged in the work that we're called to do, serving the Lord in our church life, serving the Lord in every area of our lives. As you join together in your worship, as you serve one another in your homes, as you serve others through whatever vocation the Lord has given you, as you serve God with your time, with your resources, may you turn your hearts toward the Lord and trust only in His mercy and grace. And know, know that He has done everything needed so that you could be seen as one of his holy people in his sight. I mean, just remember how easy it is to be unholy, defiled, and how hard it is to be holy. Well, God, because of grace, did it all perfectly so that you could be now and forever one of his holy people. Remember, Remember what God has done for you. Remember his mercy and grace. Turn your hearts toward him. And praise him for his amazing grace, his amazing love, amazing mercy. That we, so unworthy, should be so blessed. Thanks be to God for his grace. Amen.